When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Tuesday, August 10th, 2021. I'm Ash Bennington. Once again, it's TG Tuesday. Today and every Tuesday for the rest of August, Tony Greer will be joining us on the show. Here's what we're looking at right now. The S&P 500 took out another all-time high today. Uh, and then the NASDAQ declined. Looks like the NASDAQ is off uh, around 0.49%. S&P closing out the day at 4,436. NASDAQ closing out the day at 14,788. Again, for a 0.49% decline, just about half a percentage point. The Senate passed a $1 trillion infrastructure bill today on a bipartisan basis. The vote passed 69 to 30 in the U.S. Senate. However, the amendment we discussed yesterday to roll back some of the specific legislation targeting players in the crypto ecosystem for tax reporting did not pass. Here's what happened. Unan the amendment needed unanimous consent to pass. It didn't get there, not because of the crypto bill itself, uh, but because of two senators, one Democrat and one Republican, tangling over a different amendment about military spending. So the amendments did not pass. Tony, let's pull you in. Always a pleasure to have you here. Thrilled to have you here for the rest of the month. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, man, let's put a streak together and try to get a good handle on these markets, shall we? Yeah, so let's jump right in. What are you looking at right now? Well, it's nice to see the stimulus bill hit the tape and the tape respond in kind. You know, we had a little bit of a shotgun rotation, I call it, last week, which is what happens in the S&P when you have a sort of unnatural set of leaders and we had a lot of um we had a lot of leaders lagging and a lot of laggards leading last week coming into this week we get the trillion dollar stimulus bill we rotation that we're seeing uh, you know today on metals and mining you know come back and rally strong oil stocks energy stocks coming back strong that inflationary cyclical rotation where you've got tech sort of struggling. And all of that matches up to me with this sort of pivot in rates that we saw last week that seems to be following through this week. So it looks to me like we're seeing 10-year yields tick a little bit higher. We're seeing that alongside a lot of QE chatter by Federal Reserve Board members. And it's mostly talking about you know, um, tapering QE, et cetera, et cetera. And that is allowing yields to go higher, and the S&P is okay with that. So this is a really important section, I would call it, of the bull market, where the S&P is adjusting once again to higher, a little bit higher yields. And I think that they'll come off this 112 bottom with a little bit of strength. And you know, looking over at the S&P, the S&P is okay with higher yields. You're seeing the baton get handed from one sector to the next 
um, you know, every day in terms of which one is taking off for the lead. And I think that it's pretty sustainable, Ash. You know, things things in the stock market feel pretty good. And uh, as long as we can contend with higher rates and taper talk, I think it's going to be an ongoing bull market this year. Yeah, that's a lot of complexity in terms of the rotation. Could you unpack a little bit what you see happening there? We saw it a bit today. Yeah, you know, it's 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 um, it's like, for example, there are things going on in the stock market right now where I always say it's hard for me to get bearish when, right? And when I look around the stock market and I see the momentum ETF, for example, carving new highs, right, and clearly breaking out, the momentum ETF is made up of Tesla, J.P. Morgan, Berkshire Hathaway, Disney, Bank America. Um, Moderna, et cetera, names like that that have been flying, right? So for me, it's hard to get bearish when things like the momentum ETF are carving new highs. We're seeing financials start to get on the run again. And even with the move higher in yields, which they like, the curve isn't really widening out quite a bit, but financials are getting on the run, I think, in anticipation of that. So for me, it's the kind of thing where it's hard to get bearish the S&P when Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs are galloping to new all-time highs every day, which has been the case since yields turned off of that bottom last week. So when I can look across sectors, Ash, and see names like, you know, we just said Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, but also Pfizer, Eli Lilly, Paycom Software, NXP Semiconductors, Dollar General, Albemarle, we can jump from sector to sector to sector and see breakouts taking place to new highs. To me, this is the sign of a healthy bull market that's a little bit more sustainable than we had seen in the past couple of weeks where we didn't have clear leadership. For me, it feels like we've got cyclicals back in the lead. We've got momentum stocks on the run. We've got the S&P breaking up through 4,400. And you know, for me, like I said, this, this, is, this is something that we get into right now, which is like the power curve of the bull market trade in equities. The signs are all pointing to this being sustainable, despite a little bit of a rise in yields. And this, this is just a scenario that we've seen in before that just really shows that stocks are really comfortable in this environment. That's really, I think, the clearest way to look at. It. Yeah. Interesting points that you make there, Tony. You also mentioned up front that you are looking at or listening to and following closely the taper talk. Yields have risen a bit. Uh, Ten-year right now trading at about uh, one spot three four. Uh, it looked like it was trading at the beginning of the month at one spot seven two. There's a little bit of lead in that trade on the yield side. What are you thinking about that? What are you watching, and how are you factoring it in to your broader outlook for U.S. equities? Well, what I'm looking for, Ash, is for the U.S. equity market to be able to contend with this move in yields, right? So what I want to see is yields go higher and it not take the legs out from underneath the S&P, which is something that we've seen before, but usually something that we see when 10-year yields are up around one and a half, two, or even higher than that. You know, that's something that weighs on the equity market. Right now, you know, we, we called a reversal last week on Twitter right after yields bottomed at 112 earlier in the week. We were looking for, you know, sort of red to green action in yields. We got that last week. We got a close in the 10-year yield above the 200-day moving average, and they continue to tack higher. Now, the taper talk is important to me because all of a sudden, we've seen about six or seven Fed members in as many days, or even fewer days, I should say, come in some kind of guidance as to how 
this is going to pass. If you remember last week, we had Clarita say they could see making a taper announcement later this year. We had Kaplan say he wanted bond buying taper to start soon. We had the Fed's daily say that they will do something on asset purchases around 21 or 22. That was last week. This week, we've had the Atlanta Fed's Bostic say that tapering purchases should take place after these couple of months of solid employment gains. And then we just saw the Boston's Fed Rosengren come out and say we should start some kind of a tapering process as early as this fall. So yields are taking this and bumping higher. And, you know, like I said, today, you look at the equity market and see how it's handling it. And we've got an interesting dynamic with energy stocks regaining the lead alongside metals and mining. Right, Ash? So I want to I mention, if it's okay, that, you know, I just did a really good rundown of the energy market, of the oil market with Tracy Shukart. And, you know, I was really, really nervous about the fact that we were in a very consensus view, she and I. It was like a little micro, it was like a little micro sentiment study. Right. We're looking at each other. We both got bullish fundamental data. You know, we're armed with bullish fundamental data. We both think that the next $15 in oil is going to be higher. And we come in the next day to a $5 slide in crude oil. Right. Like almost almost perfect for, you know, going out there and putting ourselves on a limb and saying we think the next $5 is higher. But what's most important, a couple of days later, after we said that it would be met with buying, we saw the dip be met with buying, and we saw the dip down to 70 translate into a rally to about 74 or nearly 75, um, excuse me, $70, back to $70 in crude oil. So crude oil is back on its feet again and now leading the equity market, and that's a dynamic that we've seen all year. So for me, the equity market is healthy, good to go, and we are like very much in a power curve of the trade, if that's fair to say. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah. One other thing I'm curious about you mentioned oil. What's your outlook right now for other commodities, and is it tied to the oil trade? Well, you know, I feel like the commodities are being separated out a little bit by the Federal Reserve almost. And I don't know if that's being something uh, something that's being done consciously or if it's something that's sort of happening organically out of their attempt to manage um, the inflation that we see on the screens. Right. If it was pretty clear a couple of weeks ago that Jerome Powell was coming after the inflation trade, defending his transitory comments and kind of getting a dollar rally started. We saw what happened to the gold market when the dollar rally got started, right? First, the gold market started coming off slowly, then it started coming off quickly and in large magnitudes. So it was important for me to see that while we're seeing so much actual inflation and the markets even interpret inflation coming, we're seeing inflation barometers like gold crash and fall through the floor. Now, part of that is due with real rates rising, and I can accept that. And part of that is due with positioning getting overloaded to the long side in gold and there being a lack of follow through. So we've got, Ash, you've got inflation beacons like gold that seem like they're being dealt with by the Fed and other central banks to take the sort of shine off of inflation a little bit. 
And then you've got commodities like, you know, base metals that really won't give up the ghost yet of the rally. You've still got aluminum making new highs. Copper is hanging in strong at levels that we thought it was about to break down from. So there's still some underlying strength in commodities. It's just that we're dealing with a pullback in gold, some consolidation in the energy markets, and maybe the same in base metals markets while the Fed is talking transitory. But to me, all of this stuff, you know, none of these rallies have been derailed, if that's fair to say. You know, they've been calm and cool pullbacks all within technical boundaries of a, of a bull market. And I think that all the commodities are likely to get back on their feet and rally again, especially because Biden keeps proving us right, saying that his answer is going to be stimulus, another check, another infrastructure bill. And I think we have to get used to that. And I think the tape is getting used to that as well. Yeah. You know, Tony, on the heels of that, that sets up perfectly a conversation that we had on Real Vision today with Stephen Van Meter and Alfonso Picatiello. Uh, this is on the Essential Tier. All of our Real Vision Essential Tier subscribers can take a look at it precisely on some of the points you just made. Let's take a look at the clip. So I am on the disinflationary camp. So, uh, you know, inflation or deflation, I guess there is some sort of a gray area. Uh, it, it still stays towards deflation, but I will call it disinflation, Stephen. So I think global economists are still or are, will still be able to produce some positive year-on-year -year inflation numbers, but it's just that the pace of these inflation numbers is rather going to be very shallow, let me put it like that. So what are some of the signals that you look at to, to determine whether this is transitory or not? Yeah, so um, I think you just have to try to get the big picture here, right? So let's let's look at the forest rather than at the trees. So our monetary system is basically built on trying to overlay credit expansion to generate cyclical growth on top of what we have as structural growth, right? And the structural growth is just the labor supply. So the people that are productive for the economy and how productive are they? And how productive is this capital that is through the economy, right? And at the moment, if you look at the structural factors, they're pretty poor. Uh, I mean, demographics is what it is, and productivity is pretty stable, and it's not going up. And capital misallocation is all over the place, also because of monetary policy. So, you know, the structural forces are pretty pretty shallow. So what we try to do is always to overlay cyclical growth on top. So we, it looks like that we're growing in a healthy fashion, right? But what we're, what we're doing is just we are using credit effectively to overlay on this. So every time we have this credit impulse growing, People feel like it's a regime change. It's the nice side of the medal. Uh, it's 2018 all over again. Or it's, uh, you know, I can make other examples, but it's 2018. It's uh, uh, late 2020, beginning 2021. It's all these regime changes that you hear a lot. And at the end of the day, they're just credit sugar rushes, as I call them. So there you have it. Let me just reprise something that Alfonso said that I thought was very striking. He says, quote, so let's look at the forest rather than the trees. Our monetary system is basically built on trying to overlay credit expansion to general cyclical growth on top of what we have seen as structural growth. And the structural growth is just the labor supply. People that are productive for the economy and how productive are they? And how productive is this capital that is the economy? And then he goes on to say, and here really is the gut punch, a lot of that, at the end of the day, they're just credit sugar rushes. Now, Tony, what's so interesting to me about this uh, is that Stephen, uh, excuse me, when Stephen Van Meter asks Alfonso uh, Pecatiello what camp he's in, he says he's kind of a disinflationist. 
You are, I think it's fair to say, more of an inflationista. But boy, it really sounds like you guys agree on this point. Yes, there's there, there's definitely somewhere where we overlap. I like how he put that we are creating credit expansion, you know, to create cyclical growth on top of organic growth, or or he put it something, you know, yeah. along those lines. And I think that that alludes to, you know, the fact that you know what we've been saying is that the Fed is not stepping off the gas here, despite the fact that we're seeing, you know, we've got PMIs close to 60. We've got unemployment falling way back to the fives and six handles now. We've got, um, you know, GDP growth is in line. CPI is, you know, trading above targets and the Fed is not letting off. So where he might call that a sugar rush, I might call this a sort of sustainable um, addiction. You know, like, I don't think that this is necessarily something that the Fed is going to start and then take away. To me, that would be sugar rushy. But for something that it seems like the Fed has started with consistent accommodation to the markets, and it doesn't feel, you know, look outside your window, Ash, this would be a perfect time to start, you know, the tightening rates, talking about tapering, and that's what they're doing. But the fact is, the balance sheet of the Fed keeps grinding higher, right? So as long as they maintain this position of constantly accommodating markets, um, I would agree that we're looking at the same type of effect being caused. I just think it's a little bit more permanent because I don't see the Federal Reserve easing up. So, you know, I, I think yeah. we are. It's interesting. We overlap a little bit. And I don't really like to argue with deflationists. I really don't because I know that we've got a big enough debt pile um, and there are a lot of deflationary factors in this market. And that's not really where I make my money as a trader. Right. Our trader is in analyzing the markets and seeing what's responding. You know, whether it's inflationary, deflationary or what, it's, you know, that that part is interesting to talk about, but it doesn't not that's not where the rubber hits the road when it comes to making money trading. You know, well, you know, it's interesting because there's obviously some fine shades of differences. You just very uh, eloquently pointed out between the Pecatiello view of the world and the Greer view of the world. But here's what I find so interesting. Typically, uh, when you look at inflationists' views and deflationist views, typically they're just completely opposite views of the universe. But what's fascinating to me is it sounds as though at core, you guys both very much agree that the Fed intervention is bad for the economy. That's really the core takeaway view. It isn't that you know one says more stimulus, the other says less. Both are saying, hey guys, this is really a concern. We need to look at this, maybe some slightly different paths forward in terms of the risks or the impact you see, but both expressing, you and Pecatiello expressing significant concerns. Yeah, my concern is mostly, um, I guess, on a more socioeconomic level where, you know, the, the wealth gap is clearly something that is widening at a frightening pace right now. You know, while the Fed is inflating, um, inflating assets, you know, clearly it goes back to our original postulate that if you have assets, you're going to be OK. And as we know, they are inflating the stock market, but not a large enough uh, sec sector of the U.S. population um, has their wealth attached to the stock market. And so that's where I see a potential problem coming through in the future, especially if we start creating inflation beyond what they can control. Because obviously, if you are on the economically weaker side of the equation, rising prices in the grocery bill and your transportation costs, all of that is going to become a problem at some point if these prices start rising. So we do see problems ahead. I think we just look at it from a little bit of a different angle 
if we were in the same conversation, we'd probably have even more um, overlap in common, to be honest with you. Yeah, I suspect that's true. Hey, Tony, what do you say? Should we jump into the questions a little bit early today? Yeah, a lot yeah man, let, let's hit it. Summer, summer doldrums, man. If they want to make something to talk about, let's give them something to talk about. Yeah, here's a great question from Jason. Uh, he wants to know, Tony, what are your current medium-term thoughts on base metals like copper? You know, this has been um, one of the conversations going on in my head that I'm really, really wrestling with. You know, I rode the metals trade higher really, really well. Um, you know, traded Freeport McMoran and the XME Industrials ETF from the long side like a champ. Managed to get out, you know, very close to the highs with the trailing stop mechanism that I like to employ. So I've been waiting patiently for an entry level. They're not giving me an entry level on the downside that I'm comfortable with. I never feel like they've gotten cheap. I definitely feel like I may get lured back into them on the momentum side, on the upside once again now, because as this trillion dollar stimulus bill hits the tape, as you can see, the metals market seems to be responding positively to that. So I'm in a situation where I believe that copper is going to break higher up through 10K and keep going. So as soon as I feel like it's going to step on the gas, I'm probably going to run into that trade with a tight stop if I can, because we do have to realize now that these are late inning rallies um, in the base metals markets and especially in the base metals mining stocks. So even though... Um, you know, we're consolidating near the highs here, the stocks are doing the same. And you kind of have that risk across the metals and mining complex where you might buy something here, it fails the old high, and then you're wearing a quick 10% loss in your face. So I'm just trying to decide if they're going to gallop through that high or if they're going to give me a much cheaper place to enter. And so right now I'm excuse me, watching carefully, but I'm still bullish the sector looking for a place to get in and I'm growing impatient with that, if that's fair to say. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah. Tony, here's a question. Here's a question from me. This is the question that I would ask if I were in the audience today instead of hosting the show. And the question is this. I don't know how closely you follow the events uh, around the infrastructure bill, particular to the crypto amendment yesterday. But what are your thoughts there? What's happening right now? I should say going into this crypto still quite strong, keeping its head up. Bitcoin, 45,563. Ethereum, 3,149. Bitcoin on the week up 19.8%. Ethereum on the week up about almost 28%, Tony. So listen, I am flabbergasted by the Bitcoin performance to the point that I added the Coinbase IPO coin, the ticker, um, to my view matrix just yesterday, right? When when Bitcoin, you know, for to, to take a step back, you know, Bitcoin is is one of those things that's happening in the world, whether you like it or not, right? And it seems like you can get on board and be in it, or you can just totally let the world go by and not be in it. looks like I'm getting a chance to buy it at around 20K. It's teetering on that 30K support level. We trade below 30K and we recover 30K. And then all of a sudden, 
we start slicing through the moving average resistance levels on the upside through 38K, 40K, and 42K, you've got me hook, line, and sinker in terms of paying attention to that price action because that price action was literally the most impressive price action I've seen in any security all year. Now, let's look mm -hmm. at this last week. Bitcoin performance last week was up 6 or 7%, right? That happened in a week that all the other inflation hedges got shit canned. Excuse my French, right? That's significant. Last week we had oil down seven or eight percent. We had gold down two or three percent, silver down three percent, copper down two percent and change. What did Bitcoin do? Up and gone, right? That to me is a really impressive move that I can't ignore. I've got leaders in the space telling me like we're glad to have you aboard first of all second of all tap 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 it's being led by ethereum and while i can totally accept that if i were to come up for a reason as to why ethereum were rallying i would be lying so with my <laughs> uneducated opinion in bitcoin all i've got is the chart and my desire to not miss out on this trade as a sort of lifetime thing so i've kind of forced myself into it I bought the Coinbase IPO because, as you know, I'm off the zero boundary in, in, in Bitcoin and Ethereum. I have small enough investments that I can sleep at night and not care if they go to zero. And I can be excited enough if I wake up to a 5 or 10% rally. So I bought Coinbase for a trade during the day that it broke out. It had this huge range from like 230, uh, 245, 250 up to 275. I may have gotten in a little bit late and a little bit poorly, but at least now I feel like I'm there and I'm not missing the trade. Part of it, as you said, was because this thing was looking at getting a beatdown from the SEC. And as you said, in this stimulus bill, it looks like we're going to be um, putting off that uh, you know really tight, know your client level of service that we're going to apply to the cryptocurrency trading sector at some point. Right. But if it's not going to happen now, then it's probably still a bullish kind of wild west type of indication. So that's what I'm looking for in Bitcoin. I think that this continued for a little while. Let me just turn off my phone that went off there. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's I think that's spot on. And just to add a, a little bit of uh, the texture beneath the surface on what was happening in uh, the Senate, you effectively had 98 senators, Democrats and Republicans, uh, and the Treasury Department agree effectively that the legislation as it was written that people were so concerned about in the crypto space, it seemed to imply effectively that software developers, that stakers, uh, that miners, basically that everyone who played any role in the crypto space was going to be subject to the kinds of taxation disclosure requirements that would be appropriate for an exchange, someplace like a Coinbase or a Kraken. Uh, 98 senators agreed to that. The Treasury Department agreed to that. It seemed as though that there was a, uh, a bit of static uh, around an unrelated amendment that caused the bill to come out of the Senate without that. But it seems like it's a pretty bullish sign. Uh, certainly the price action would suggest that a little bit of a 24 hour decline uh, in, in Bitcoin, about 1.6%. But again, as I was saying, up about almost 20% on the week. Uh, Ethereum came down about 0.26%, less than a quarter of a percent, uh, or a little over a quarter of a percent. I should say. These are de minimis moves. It seems as though the pricing is still quite bullish on this news. And I think we're going to get a resolution here. Yeah, I was going to say these these pullbacks are de minimis in terms of Ethereum that just rallied 75% off of its, you know, $1,700 low. It rallied straight through 3K, straight through the resistance levels and has essentially gone parabolic. So I that, that was really great um, unpacking 
of you know the the SEC and the, and the more technical rules that are will probably driving the moves that we're seeing right now. So it's just interesting, you know, it's a, it's a great trade to follow, Ash. There, there's obviously it has its set of you know people that have been occupying the Bitcoin space for a long time. Um, it's really interesting to see that recovery from being literally on the mat with its eyes rolled back. Um, you know, that's just the kind of price action that that traders like us notice and say, okay, if it's going to survive that beating, it's probably got a lot more life in it to go. So, you know, that that's um, it was just a good a good uh, positive vibe and a good week to pivot into crypto for me. So let's see how it goes. You know, we're, we're going to treat this just like any other trade with our tactical trading rules applied. And, um, you know, we're going to put our stop loss below the market and make the market gods come and get us. Yeah. Tony, here's a question I think you're going to like. It comes to us from Tanbert Zayman. And the question is, does Tony Greer have a research service? I do have a research service, but it's just me, right? Um, Ash, over the over the years, I've developed my own way of following the markets as performance based sort of um, performance based market following and and performance based market analysis. And so, if you subscribe to my newsletter, you will see very much how I um, maneuver into and out of trades based on their you know prior performance and how that overlays into technicals. So, I do have a bit of a research department, but it's just me. Yeah. By the way, I should say I've just seen in the YouTube chat, uh, Tamber just updated and said, wow, Tony's newsletter. It's a great deal. Definitely grabbing it. Not making this up. Actually posted in the chat nice. in YouTube. Yeah. That's so cool. very cool. Another another subscriber. Uh, Tony, yeah. as we come as we come near the end of this conversation, give us your final thoughts and tell us a little bit about what you're going to be looking at in the week ahead. Yeah, I'm, you know, my eyes are still peeled on the treasuries, treasury market. Um, it was important to me to find out, to, to find the bottom in yields, because when yields are coming off in a world where inflation expectations are holding in and the inflation narrative is going strong, it's hard to understand how the bond market is driving other markets when yields are that low in this inflationary of an environment. So my idea now is that they, since they found a bottom, that yields may go a lot higher very quickly. So I'm kind of watching for that to happen. I think that's what might happen. And I think that that is really going to set a fire underneath the inflation trade and get commodities back on the run again. So I'll be on the lookout to see if commodities don't get back on the run and sort of follow through with today's price action through the rest of the week, then that'll be a problem for me, right? Then I'm going to be disappointed in the inflation trade coming back to life, and I'm probably going to have to you know, tighten up my stops in that area. But if it looks like we've got a continuation of today where we've got, for example, momentum stocks continuing through new highs energy and metals and mining and cyclicals and home builders leading the equity market and maybe technology backing off again, that's going to be a sign to me that the S&P is definitely in a sweet spot for another four or 500 point rally. So I'm trying to position myself that way, Ash. The cards have been getting turned over a little bit the way we've been looking for them to in terms of the S&P going higher. And now I'm just trying to see if it can negotiate that with yields rising at the same time. So I think that if that dynamic persists, we'll be in really good shape. Yeah. Boy, what a perfect summary, Tony, from the micro to the macro. Well, 
that's how you know sometimes it plays out, Ash. You know, and when when the price action agrees with the fundamentals and it agrees with the narrative that's playing out in your head, and and you can get that conversation out of your head onto your trading pad, you know, and and have it really sort of portray the view you have. You know that that's that's how you get it from drilling down from the long term to the short term and from the big picture to the little picture, and sort of that's all part of the deal as as tactical traders. You know, yeah, a super fun conversation and a really fun chat today. In the you, always in the and I, yeah, great. I love on the new technology, and I have to thank thank Celia for bringing this out to us. And I think that we're going to be on a tremendous run here with better technology, better content, and hopefully we'll nail the markets cold too. Yeah, we'll get that. We'll get that taken care of. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us, Ash. We'll see you in a week, man. Thanks, man. And thanks for watching, everyone. Thanks for your questions. Fun discussion today in the chat. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.